We're continuing where we left off. Uh, this is Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 10-9-2022. And we will continue with the thought of the week and prayer. understanding of why God does the things he does helps us understand what he is doing. In turn, we need to understand why we do the things we do. Hence, the bad news. The heart of why we are lost is not because of sin. It is because of unrighteousness. We, when we read the passage in Romans 3, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's found in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. We cannot fix that any more than we can fix our sinfulness and condemnation. Our unrighteousness is a problem for sure. However, when it comes to the atonement, we learn that God is not counting people's sins against them. Found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Our, our sins were never counted against us as far as God is concerned. God is the one who set this up in this way, I am not denying my sinfulness. I am acknowledging that I was born this way, a sinner sold in the slave market of sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Jesus Christ is the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Found in Revelations chapter 13, verse 8. So, even though I am a sinner, God has taken the responsibility of my sinfulness and completely and, and completely handled it by the work of Christ. I didn't have anything, or I didn't do anything for this to happen. It was already done when I learned about it. In fact, I was not here when Christ did it for those who lived in the Old Testament hereafter Old Testament their sins were also held in store to be judged in the same way Romans chapter 3 verse 25 well I cannot say I didn't do anything I had to allow God to reveal it to me and I had to believe it. Even if I choose not to believe it or refuse to hear it, God did this work for me. Christ still died for my sins. I cannot change this work even if I was crazy enough to want to change it. The work of atonement still does not save me but it places me in a position to be saved. I am not made righteous because Christ died for my sins. The atonement does not fix the problem of unrighteousness. We need to see exactly how the work of Christ handles this problem and what is our responsibility. Just want to add a short commentary uh, first of all, it's, uh, I just want to add that the God, the Holy Spirit, none of these things uh, could be made known to the believer uh, if it weren't for God, the Holy Spirit. So God, the Holy Spirit, is the communicator of this information. Um, I want to go back to Romans chapter 3.10, which says that there is no one righteous, not even one. 
which was emphasized in the thought of the week. Um, there, and, and further it says there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. So that tells me there's nothing that I can bring to the table as far as God is concerned because in Adam all died. God doesn't accept anything that Fred or I bring to the table. It's only through this work that Christ performed in my behalf that I can seek salvation. So at this time, I'm going to turn over the service to Dave, who's going to offer a prayer for us. Thanks, Fred. Do it well. Do anyone have any special prayer requests? Yes. Um, I'd like to pray for the word of truth, Christian church, and specifically my brother Michael, who's who's ill, and just pray for him. Pray for the Maya family. Um, I'd like to pray for my ex who has cancer and also um, Misty lift her name up in prayer. Okay. Everyone be side heads. We take this order of grace. Father, we, we're giving you these special prayer requests that was given to me called the Miles family, uh, Word of Truth, Christian Church, and we start to pray for Word of Truth, Christian Church, also, Father. We pray for Father, for those who are needy, Father, those who are still grieving, Father. We also pray for those who are sick among us, Father. We pray, Father, that we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us your word, Father, so we can go with grace in the knowledge of the Lord and save you to Christ. Father, we ask you, Lord, to give a special prayer to all those, even Brittany Gruff, who's also in the Russian prison, Father, and they usually have a pawn on a political issue, Father. We pray for her release as soon as, as, as she fit, Father. Father, we pray for those who are the sound of voice, for those who need prayer, Father. And we pray for those, Father, for those who are, as repeated, among you, Father, those are sick, Father. Father, we ask you to forgive us, spread the prayers to our fast, as you give us the word, and fold us, Father, so we can go in grace in our knowledge of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for Jesus Christ, we are in his name's sake. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Fred. We appreciate that. Uh, we're going to get right into uh, where we left off last week. It is uh, in your notes. You have you should have notes. Uh, the verse in question is John 17, verse 26. We did take a swing at this last week, and we're at it again this week. The verse reads, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. <clears throat> so we... In your notes, Christ's mission in revealing the Father is just about complete. Obviously, he will not fi- he, he will not be finished until the entire church will one day be together, quote, and so we will be with the Lord forever. That's first Thessalonians four seventeen. Until then, the church is a work in progress. Christ will go to heaven, be glorified and continue to work tirelessly building his church, quote, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That's Ephesians 5.26. What we are becoming is out of this world and is, quote, of a new kind, unprecedented, novel, uncommon, unheard of, says Thayer. By now, we see the heart of our Lord We see the love of the Father and his eternal purpose. We see the glory that will result in the Father's plan being accomplished in Christ and in the new creation. Our destiny is exciting as we allow our minds to be transformed into his image. Or, as as Paul would say, 
we are, quote, being transformed into his image with ever-increasing incre glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. So we, we dealt with some of the phrases, and I think we're going to jump right to where we left off. Maybe a little review, but the thought is, uh, the last verse in John chapter 17, that's where we are. Uh, Christ says, I have made you known to them. And we already know who he's talking about in the context. He's talking to the disciples, but not only the disciples, but those who will believe in him through their message. Verse 20. Uh, he is made, made known, and we already talked about the fact. <clears throat> what did he make known to them? The name. The name. So we, we talked about the Greek word is anima, and it literally means, it means the name, a designation, the authority of a person, the character, identity. It could also have to do with title, right? And what name, the name that is known, um, it's not just that as a, of a de designation. It has to do with the identity and the authority of that person. And we should know it is the highest priority that God has. We could say that the Godhead has. So this name was given to Christ. This is point E. And what name is that? What is the name? <laughs> the special name? Son. So when we talk about this word son, it refers to Roman style adoption as we discussed Roman style adoption is not just, well, you know, we're childless. Uh, it would be nice to have a kid, you know, nothing like that. It's talking about, the, as I said, the greatest transfer of wealth and power. And if we understand that, then we understand that Roman style adoption has to do with the father putting everything in the hands of the son, right? Giving over everything to the son. The son now is ruling. Remember, all of this is because of the father's eternal purpose of what he's trying to accomplish, bringing many sons into glory. So the name represents the highest authority, dignity, majesty, and honor. And that's how we, we have to recognize that what is given. When we, when we talk about son, if we say son now, it speaks of a lot, there's a lot of ways we could say it. It speaks of the new creation. Because Christ isn't just uh, the Son of God. We could talk about him as the Son, and he paid for our sins, and he did all his work. However, when we talk about the word Son in this age, then we know that Christ is the progenitor of a new creation. He is the federal head of a new creation. And a new creation is who we are in Christ. If any man is in Christ, says 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. The new has come, the old has gone. So we're no longer in Adam anymore. We're in Christ. And that, Paul clearly says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 through 49, where he contrasts the Lord, the, our Lord Jesus Christ, with that of Adam. So what are we talking about? We're talking about Adam and Christ. Same thing in, in Romans chapter 5, where he says, And Adam, by the sin of one man, death, condemnation, inheritance of the sin nature. But then, in those same verses, by the other one, and he talks about Christ, all these things have come, life, eternal, all the things that are in Christ are part of what the second Adam or the last Adam has brought. I like why he says the last Adam, because there won't be any more after this. That's it. There won't be a third Adam who is a progenitor. And there is in no way that we can be compared to Christ in this regard, because we are in him. We were in Adam. We were not, none of us were ever the progenitors of a race. But 
Adam, but that responsibility has rested on the shoulders of Adam, and it has rested on the shoulders of Christ. So those are things we should know and understand about what God is doing when he brought Christ on the scene. It wasn't just, well, here's just another human being. A lot of us would like to think that. Like, oh yeah, he was born of the seed of the woman. And, and yeah, he, he just came into the world. And, and he was just like us. He was just like us in terms of his humanity. But he was not just like us in terms of who he was. And as I said, Paul captures this very well for us by contrasting the two Adams. The first Adam was this, of the dust of the earth. The last Adam was that, the man from heaven. Right? So I love, I love the way the, there's so much wisdom in what he's saying there and how he presented that to us. And we continue with that thought and because of the name. So the name Son represents everything of the new creation. It talks about the new creation, how Father invested everything in Christ, and why did he do that? So that he could bring many sons into glory. But it also speaks of the Father's eternal purpose. Like, what does the Father want? Well, it's not just what he wants, but how does he go about accomplishing what he wants? And he does that through the Son, through the title that he has given him as Son. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, and so forth. Well, what he is, and there's no person who has ever been like Jesus. Now, we can identify with him in his humanity, all right, but what about the fact that he is God? He's the eternal God. He's the, in fact, he is the creator of all things. Now, from where we sit right now, we can't identify with that person in all of who he is. But with the work of God on our behalf, identifying this new creation, this new person who has divine and human exploits, we can now identify with this person. Now we can. But I'm just speaking in general. When you think about who this person is, he's a unique person. So once, once I was writing, and I never really developed this much more, uh, and I know I'm off this, the subject a little bit, so just bear with me. And the, the subject, the thought was, that I was writing about, was about how we are new, right? And how God extended himself in creating us. Right? We're created in the image of God, and then we unite at the baptism of the Spirit, we're we're united with the person of Christ, who is a unique person, right? Who has two natures and all that. So I said, it's interesting how we had to become something that we were not. And what are we? We were not what we are. We're the new creation. That didn't exist. But then I turned it around. I don't know if it was appropriate to do that. But I turned it around and I said, we're not only one new man, but when we're thinking about the Trinity, we got one new God. <laughs> so as I wrote this paragraph, and after, you know, I, I still have it as a paragraph. But when I, when I wrote it and I finished it, I thought, yeah, the thought is that we have one new God. There's something about God that has changed, that is different. And we can see it, right? And this is what... This is what the Father's plan. But then I thought, as I, as I finished writing it, and I went back after and reviewed it after years later, I thought how I, it would be attacked by theologians. How dare you? Of course, it would be taken out of context and all that, because but they would focus in on the one new God. That was the title of the paragraph. And really, do we have a new God? Can I say that? And people not recoil and say, what do you mean, one new God? God can't change. He's forever God and all that, right? But maybe you'll have to read the paragraph. For those who are interested, I'll make it available. But um, anyway, that was the thought. There's something new going on. 
And I'm hoping that this change, however I articulated it, whether you think it is good or bad, doesn't matter. But my point is, I'm trying to bring something new to the table. So you don't just continue going on as usual. Like, I need to just shake you a little bit. That's why I said, well, one new guy. Well, that would shake people. That's controversial. I need you to not go on here as business, business as usual. I don't want you to think in terms of, oh, it's just that old time religion that we've always had. It is not that. God has brought something new to the table and because people have ignored it, because the church has ignored it, does not mean we will. We're going to talk about it. And it, if we don't find the correct words to use, then God the Holy Spirit will help us in this area. But we have to depend on him because we have no knowledge of all of the workings and doings of God before time began. How could we possibly know? Getting back to our subject at hand. So when Christ is talking about I have made them known, then I have made you known, and then that I may be in them, and that all of that kind of talk is going forward. What do we do with the information that is at hand? What do we do with that information? Do, do we just, as a book, we, we say, oh, we're done with this subject. Let's put it on the shelf. And when we want to talk about that again, we'll take it off the shelf. I hope that is not how you want to proceed because we're talking about something that is mind-altering, life-changing for us. And if you don't see it, well, we need to go back over the material again until you do see it, right? But it's not my objective to force-feed you anything. I only want to give and talk about things that where people are listening and and want to know right there's relevance here i'm not just talking in the air so so i want you to recognize that we have crossed some boundaries here that the theological world would not cross they're not willing to cross they don't care what the context is they don't care what the Bible says. All they want to say is, here's, how we, here's what we think is what we've always thought. Sounds political to me. But this is how we're going to proceed. And that's not how we're going to do it in this church. What we're doing is focusing our attention on what the Word of God teaches not what theology teaches, what the Word of God teaches. And that's, that is our theology. So let's get back to where we are. We, we, we also dealt with in order that the love you have for me may be in them. So we talked about this. Uh, this for, no, we actually didn't get to this phrase. We're getting to this. So we're still in point number two here. Point number two. And it says, um, <clears throat> point E is where we left off, actually. Point E is, uh, we'll continue. Well, let's read point D. What else is our Lord doing in heaven? Quote, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So we know the Lord is at work. When he says, and will continue to make you known. We also know that the Holy Spirit is the communication liaison for Christ and the Father. So he takes from what is Christ, and Christ takes from what was the Father's, all that belongs to the Father is mine, right? So then Christ has it now, but now Christ doesn't just speak to us from heaven. It is God the Holy Spirit who is on the ground, who is able to speak to the inner man, says Ephesians 3. The inner, he speaks to the inner person, and that person is uh, the real us where we live. And so not only do we have, you have me barking at you and talking to you, and, but you have God the Holy Spirit on the inside teaching you. And it's not, so I, I have some responsibility, but that is his responsibility. 
for Christ to be able to communicate to you through the Spirit in your inner being, your inner man. So, so here, we've been focusing on the wisdom and the knowledge that is involved in that. So I wanted to just deal with point, um, I think it's point F. Is it? No, actually it's point E, where we'll continue to make you known, right? So this is the phrase. This is the absolute quest. This is point 2E. Let's just make sure everybody's on the same page. Point 2E. We'll continue to make you known is the phrase that we're focused on. This is the absolute quest for us during our time on earth. So when I say this, what I'm trying to say is, is that Christ is working to bring the church this knowledge of what happened, who we are in him, the new creation, what is God's intention in all of this, what is the eternal purpose, and all of that. That is what he is trying to make known to the church. In fact, that is what this age is all about, those things I mentioned. Obviously, you know, we don't lose the gospel, right? The gospel continues through uh, the church, which is not something that is lost, that we don't have to talk about, that is not our responsibility. But God has given us that responsibility as well. So we have two fronts we're working on, that is bringing people uh, to the saving knowledge of Christ, and then two, bringing them to all truth, or the deep truth that is available to us, as we just mentioned. So there's few scriptures to talk about in this regard. First is Hebrews 11 and 6. I'm going to just flip over to that. and we're, Now we're going to move quickly, right? Uh, not to the point where we're, um, we're missing things, but to the, to the point where we're, we're, we're covering the detail. So here it says in Hebrews 11, 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is a basic understanding of, of faith, right? Really basic, because if you look at what's surrounding this verse, he talks about the what people have done by means of faith. By faith, we understand the universe was, conform, was, was formed. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then, but, but then he continues. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that would later receive as an inheritance. By faith... So if you read this, faith is not salvation faith that he's talking about here. Salvation faith is one time. You believe in Christ and you are saved. Well, Abraham, what he points out about Enoch, what he points out about Abel, what he points out about Abraham and Noah, were all things that are not initial salvation. These are things regarding faithfulness. So when you think about faithfulness, and that is the subject of Hebrews 11. I think I already said this once. I'm, maybe it's in our notes going forward. But Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter. Really, it should be called the faithfulness chapter. That's really what it's about. Faithfulness. It's being consistent, right? So God depended on Abel. He depended on Enoch, he depended on Noah, he depended on Abraham, and so forth. And we could go on, there were lots more that he deals with. By faith, Sarah, by faith, um, you know, there were other people who, who, were, who did things. Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, all that. He mentions all of this in the chapter. Even Samson is mentioned here. So, by faith, not faith. Just saving faith, because these, these were people who were saved. 
but by their faithfulness. And this is what it means in 11.6, which a lot of people don't make the distinction, and I'm making it today, for the point that it requires faithfulness from us. It's not just, okay, I believe, and yes, salvation is by grace, and yes, you can have eternal life. But to please God, right, then you need faithfulness. That's what Hebrews 11 is telling us. And in, in, in the things that we are doing, God's not asking you to build an ark or to present some sacrifice like Abel did in the face of, you know, opposition, Cain. He's, he's asking you to do, to grow and to learn something that was never revealed before, that the world never saw, was not, not even angels knew about, but something that is unique that he wants to tell through us in this age. What he made of us, who we are, as we said, the new creation, Christ, all that, what all that means is what we have as our truth and wisdom. So all of this is, is what is pertinent to us. So Hebrews eleven six, you might have to look at that in a different light. Because it really speaks to not just what God wanted for us, but our faithfulness. And also we have Second Peter 3.18. Let's move on. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be, be glory both now and forever. Amen. So there is, and this is, if you, if you think about what he's saying here, he's talking about in the face of opposition. Look, look at verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by, er by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Now, we already talked about what pleases God. And it's being faithful, right? This is in, in time. Because that's what our point is. Christ is saying, I'm going to continue to make you known to them. Right? Well, we have to be willing recipients in all of this. It's not just God says, well, this is my intention. This is what I'm going to do. This is well, On the other side of that is us. Well, what's our mindset? Do we want to learn? Do we want to grow in grace? Do we want to be faithful to God? The only way God can communicate to us is if he has a willing vessel. He found those in Hebrews chapter 11. Will he find those in us? So, so we're supposed to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Notice grace, knowledge. There's a lot that those words unfold for us. And obviously we're going to talk about wisdom as well. So Romans 12, 2 is another verse. Um, so we're talking about what is our quest. What should we be doing while here in the world? Right? The quest for us in our time, how do we spend it? What do we do? Do we try to find a nation to conquer because we think we're Israel? Do we try to develop an army or of soldiers marching to Zion? Or what? What should be our quest in this life? And that's why I'm focused on, you know, what because Jesus is saying this is the ongoing uh, effort that I'm ha I have in heaven. So that would mean the Holy Spirit is going to take from Christ and make it known to us. And what is that e emphasis? It is this. Romans 12, 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, so there it is right there, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a renovation of your thought. That's a metamorphosis of thinking where you were thinking one thought, one point of view, one mindset, but now you're not anymore. God has given you new ways of thinking, new scale of values, no new priorities of how to think about who you are in life, the world, right? your worldview. All of that now is different. Well, it doesn't happen overnight. 
to being conformed to the pattern of this world. Because we're already conformed when we're born. We know that. We're dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we follow the ways of this world, the ruler of the spirit in the air who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, Paul says, lived among them at one time. So we were conformed to this world, but now we ought to be transformed. And you know, a lot of times people don't look at the rest of this verse because it tells you what being transformed will do for us. Let's look at it. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Wow, isn't that what every Christian wants to do? Uh, not every Christian, but we would hope every Christian would have this in their heart. I want to do God's will. That's all I want to do. It's God's will. You would think that that would be important for us. Well, how do you get to that? Well, you'd be... You need to have some transformation, <clears throat> which would stop you from being conformed to this world. That's the only way you're going to have. It's going to happen. If you just try to do it on your own, that's just psychological living. You know. But if you allow God to do it, He's going to renovate your thought. Thought is where is the very seat or motivation for all of the things that we do. It's our thinking. So then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Yeah, we need to know what God's will is. We need to understand that for ourselves. And then it even tells you what it is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So notice, you can't be trans, being transformed is not for unbelievers. Again, what should we be doing as believers? Here it is, that we can know what God's will is. We know that we're walking in the will of God for our lives. When we have our minds transformed by the Holy Spirit, right? It is, that's who transforms us. Really, we, really we could say, not only does he inform us, because we don't even know what, what we don't know, he informs us and then he gives us the power and the motivation to think according to what is different. I would venture to say we need also courage. Because we're worried about what people think of us a lot of times. We're worried that, uh, you know, if people don't like us because of things we say, because of what God has told us, then you know, we're worried more about us than we are about pleasing God. I, I like it what Paul says in Galatians 1. He says, if I were teaching the law, I would not be a servant of Christ. I resort to some perverted gospel, that's not going to be pleasing to, to Christ. So no, we don't want to do that. That's extreme, obviously. But we want to please God. We want to know what his, we want to know that we're doing what God would want us to do while we're here. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we want that? So we would want to know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But guess what that has to do with? Learning, growing, allowing God to transform our thinking. For him to transform us, oh, well, there's some pain in there because there's some things that we might have believed as growing up and as our experience in this world that we will have to depart from. We'll have to throw out because it's wrong thinking. It is keeping us bound to the pattern of this world. And we know where the pattern of this world comes from. It comes from Satan. We already, we already talked about how he's the ruler of the air and it's dead and how we're dead in our transgressions. And we don't want that. That doesn't please God if we try to live a life according to that. But this is what we want. So let's keep going. One more scripture, Ephesians 3, 19. Ephesians 3. What does that have to add to this point? So it says, <clears throat> and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Okay, so love here is a reference to the knowledge, right? That the height, the depth, the width, the length, right? This is what it means to be rooted and established in love, right? And, and this love, is something that is related to knowledge. 
because it's not just the father doing the things he did or, or having his eternal purpose. It is his love of it. His love of the eternal purpose, which is to bring many sons into glory, is the love that he is trying to get us to have for the Father's eternal purpose. The Father loves his eternal purpose. The Son loves it, and so does the Holy Spirit. And they will sacrifice almost anything to get the eternal purpose fulfilled. Do we love it? Do we care? <laughs> Somebody would say, well, I've got my own life and things I'm worried about. I'm important, so I need to be focused on me too, right? Well, how does your plan satisfy what I want? So that's a childish way of looking at it, I must say. What God is saying as we grow up and understand his plan, we, not only do we agree with it, not only we adopt it, but we come to love it. Loving the Father's plan, loving what he's doing, allows us to be a willing participant, not only willing, but a motivated participant to want to do the Father's will, to foster things that would, want, that would be for the Father's plan in this world. And that's part of love. All of that is a part of love. And to know this love that understands the plan fully, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, right? The fullness of God is the sum total of what God is in terms of this motivation. The sum total. And this is the purpose for all things anyway. So that, again, is a quest for wisdom and knowledge from us. Yeah. So point F, we're moving forward. Our objective is to keep growing in knowledge and wisdom, quote, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So notice, it's a quest that we're on here. God doesn't, like I said, he didn't tell you just get up, go out, build an ark, and, and then compel people to come in because I'm going to destroy. He didn't have that objective. Or it didn't take it through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to build the nation Israel. He doesn't have that objective. He has his eternal purpose. Now, of course, a lot of Christians would think, well, all oh, those things are way more important than what we're doing now. But you know why? Because they don't understand what we're doing now. They don't understand the Father's eternal purpose. So they would look to other things and attach priority to them. The priority is what we're doing right now on the ground. That's from everything that the scriptures are not only telling us, but screaming at us that this is what he wants us to do. So uh, that's what it says in Ephesians 4, 13. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. He gave those communication gifts for this purpose. If you want to know what pleases God, we already saw it, right? That we might be transformed into his image. Well, the image of Christ is where the Father has uh, called us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And now our objective is to reflect his purpose, his plan. Now, of course, once we get the lawnmower started as we pull and pull and pull. You know, how you pull a lawnmower. Next thing you know, it's going. Well, that part of it is Christ operating in you. When, when it's really operating perfectly, it is not us doing it. It's Christ in us doing it. Right? Not only does the Holy Spirit take over, but he creates the image of Christ in you. Now you, he was the image of God. Now you are the image of Christ on the earth, walking around. That's what Paul says. I'm crucified. It's not about me. I figured it out. I'm not here for me anymore. I'm dead. And it's about Christ living in me. So let's keep going. We got more to, to deal with here. Uh, let's see. So that was point F. So now we're moving on. He says, I have made you known to them 
and will continue to make you known in order that, this is point number three, in order that the love you have for me may be in them. Christ continuing to make uh, the name known to us is for a reason. It is in order that. That's what this verse can, starts out with. And that's our friend Hina in the Greek, which means simply that, in order that, or so that. So notice Paul is tying together the context using uh, these words. like So that, this happens in order that, so that we can do this, that God can do this, so that he can do that, right? So that's how this works. This word works to connect phrases, thoughts, going forward. Point B. The love you have for me, okay? So that's what this phrase says, in order that, in order that what? In order that the love you have for me. Let's look at that for a moment. The love you have for me. Uh, that's the love that the Father has for Christ, right? May that love be in them. That's the next phrase. So we know is that love. And what is the love that the Father has for Christ? That is where the Father chose Christ specifically to be the progenitor of this new creation. So Christ is not just, well, he's the sin bearer. That's one, he is, he is that. That's important, I'm not belittling that. But in this context, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this specific love, and the love has to do with Christ being the one chosen to be the progenitor of the new creation, this creation that is conformed or predestined to be conformed to the very image of his son. And that is the plan of the father of how he would bring many sons and daughters into glory, right? So it would, gonna, it would be through this new creation that he uh, planned and that new, all of this would reside in the person of Christ. That's how it's going to happen. And so that that love may be in them. So the so what is that to say? It said say that we the Father knew what He was doing when He put when He chose Christ for this auspicious role. He knew what He was doing. So now He Christ is praying that we would know that we are also chosen people for this role that. Um, is what the church is all about. That we would have the love in us. In other words, not only does the Father love the love Christ and he put the responsibility of the plan on him, but now Christ is saying, yeah, you guys are also chosen as a part of this plan, and you should know that you now have this responsibility on you. It's, so it's blessing, but blessing means responsibility. It's not just we just go kicking our heels up and saying, wow, we got it made. There's, <laughs> we, we're at the top of the food chain. Or aren't we greater than angels? And aren't we this? Or aren't we that? No, it's none of that. We have to take and understand the responsibility that we have and begin to prove faithful towards it. Right? That's, that's what we should be thinking about in, in this regard. So, Point C, the Father's special love is expressed in his choosing us and placing us in Christ before time began. Well, he did that. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. I think we read it enough times so we could understand that thought. I'll read three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wow, you would click your heels up. Well, but remember, blessing equals responsibility. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. In other words, this is the plan, right? This is what the Father purposed by choosing us in Christ, right? This is the love that he has for us. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So this is the love that he wants us to know. 
that passes knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the love that we're talking about, that he wants us, that, that Christ is praying, that, that the love you have for me may be in them. This is our prayer, the, the prayer, the priestly prayer that he's praying. We, we need that understanding, and, and more so, we need that love. So, um, point, that's point, uh, and then we already read uh, Romans 8, 29, and 30, right? Uh, so, we should be aware of the, the plan of God in this regard. Point D, the love refers to the Father choosing the Son. And we already said it's Roman-style adoption. And I already will um, remind you, which is the greatest transfer of wealth and power, right? That's what it was about. That's what the adoption was. It was a ceremony so that the adoptee would now kneel before the adoptor and be granted all of this wealth and power. So when he stood up, he would now have all of the wealth and power of that nation, of that kingdom, or whatever it was. It's not just, well, it'd be nice to have a son, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be nice to have a son. Let's do it. Let's go down to the agency and adopt one. Nothing like that at all. What we're talking about God, what he did in Christ, the sonship. Now he tells us we're adopted. <laughs> we are. And that is for this special role. We're a part of the new creation. So that's, that's why we talk about the wealth and the power. Point E, the love also refers to the trust and confidence the Father has in and for the Son in choosing him, right? Because it, it's like the Father, did he, not ha did he have a lack of confidence? No, but it is a positive affirmation. It's not just saying, well, yeah, I, I, I respect you. But he's saying, I'm trusting everything to you. You are the last, you're going to be the last Adam. Well, that's how we're going to do it, is the last Adam. And we're going to, through you, uh, we're going to have this special ministry of the Holy Spirit where he would baptize us and there would be other ministries that he would have on the ground for these people. It's very specific, right? So Christ had to be the, the one in the position of trust. But then... We are also in a position of trust and love for the Father. He, this is what, what it means when I say the, the love also refers to the trust and confidence the Father has in and for the Son and choosing him and placing on his shoulders the eternal purpose. And this is what Christ says. He understood that. <clears throat> and he said this, all that belongs to the Father is mine. So what does that mean, all that belongs? That means Christ understands. He gets it. The, the responsibility that has been placed on his shoulder. He's not just saying, I took from whatever I wanted from the Father, and that's what... No, it's not an arrogance thing. It's a complicit thing. Like I'm, in, I'm on board with this. And he says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. And point F, the Father entrusted his plan to Christ. When we talk about it, it was the Father's plan, but how do we get Christ in there as the character where he's our Lord? Wait, what's his role? Is it just to bring salvation? Nope. There's a lot more that Christ had to do. And salvation is not the primary focus of God. Because remember, I always say it this way, God didn't have to let people be lost. <laughs> he could have he had people that he just said, okay, I'm just going to bring you in as fellow in fellowship, and I'm going to change it so you don't have a will that can re, that could uh, defy my righteousness, that could violate my righteousness and justice. But he didn't do that for him. To, he he wanted specific elements of his sons and daughters. So him choosing us. And Christ's understanding of the responsibility, right, that to me is where we now have to pivot and say we now accept and understand the responsibility that is ours. 
So that's John 16, 15, right, where Christ says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. Point F. Let's keep going. The Father entrusted his plan to Christ, right? Uh, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Obviously, there was work involved, right? We, we've covered that uh, in the context of John 17, right? That verse is 17.4. He went on to tell him that, <clears throat> give him the glory that was... that. I had with you before the world began, and I have revealed those you have given me. They were yours. You gave them to me. We talked about the work that Christ had to do. The work was <clears throat> kind of theologically uh, uh, different from what the disciples knew about. Remember, the disciples really thought in terms of Israel, right? They were Jews. So Christ had to teach them things that were theologically mind-blowing, altering. So so a lot of times, I mean, this, one time Christ says, look, I know you don't believe what I'm telling you about the Father and all this stuff. Believe on the evidence of the very works themselves. If nothing else, just believe that you know I've done things that are astounding. You know God is with me because I've, the signs, the wonders, and miracles testify to that fact. Believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now, I understand it's against your theology. I know that. But God is moving in a different direction. How does he move? How do we know we're doing God's will? How do we know we're, we're pleasing him? It's because God has testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles uh, given by the Holy Spirit. That's Hebrews 3, 2, 3, and 4. God testified. God said it. God said, here's where I'm going. Follow me. So we ought to know that we're standing on the ground that is commensurate with his will. All right, let's keep going. Point G. By choosing us, what the Father entrusted to Christ will also be trusted to us. All right, that's that's the point of this phrase, in order that the love you have for me may be in them. See, that love means we have been chosen. Everybody who's in this new creation is the chosen person. It is not, even Christ is the chosen person. And so are we. There, is, there are no, just uh, by random, we got into church. It's not by random circumstances or happenstances that we are here. Everything that every person that would belong to the church, God chose from eternity past. Now, of course, these people will come, and we know they'll come when they're presented with the gospel. Maybe they resisted a hundred times like I did, but God knew that I was one who was, who was chosen, and uh, I did eventually come. His knowledge of me choosing Christ doesn't have any uh, compelling power. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, equally goes after every person that was ever born on planet Earth to, to turn them to Christ. So by the time they refuse, at the end, they will have no excuse. Point G, let's keep going. We're going to finish these points and then we're going to, uh, I don't think we're going to have time to finish the rest. <clears throat> so, we're going to keep going. And uh, point G, by choosing us, what the Father entrusts to Christ will also be trusted to us. I think we covered that in John 17, 10. Let's just read John 17, 10. So uh, it says, um, All I have is yours and all you have is mine. Again, that's Christ's acknowledgement. Uh, all Christ has is his life. All the Father has is his plan. And glory has come to me through them. So notice that's part of how we are not only uh, the ultimate uh, result of the Father's plan, but there it is that there is no glory without us. right? Cause I, so obviously we're in the place where that has to be accomplished. right? Christ has to finish the work. 
And the Father has to finish calling out those many sons into glory before there can be glory. And I call that achievement glory. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So there it is, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Well, certainly, Christ's prayer was realized as we read those words, right? So that the, the love that you have for me may be in them. Right? Well, there it is in Paul's writing uh, in Colossians there, that we are his chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Point I, our response to this trust, uh, right? When I say this trust, I mean Ephesians 1, 5, or when we talked about in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, right? right? That's love. The love you have for me may be in them. Our response to this trust is the same as our Lord's. Right? This is, I should say it should be the same. It is the same if we want to please God, right? If, if that's the objective. If once we find out all of this, right, we understand who we are, what the Father's plan was, how He chose us in Him, how the love that He He loved Christ with is the same love that He loves us with. Once all of this dawns on us and we understand. Right. It's what what should be our understanding? Right, our response to this, and this is Christ's response. Just to note, and being found in appearance as a man. So Christ is now saying, with his boots on the ground, what does he do? How does he respond? Now he already knows all this. If you're seeing, reading in the previous and. Have, having equality with God, knowing that he has equality with God, with God is not something that he holds on to. That's not important to him at this point as a man. What's important to him is completing, fulfilling the Father's eternal purpose and being found in appearance as a man. When he, he realized this, his boots were on the ground, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. So nothing could deter Christ from fulfilling the Father's purposes. And we're not only talking about the fact that he had to go to the cross, right? that that was the end of his life on earth, where he was telling all the disciples, I'm not going to be here, I'm going to be leaving. And they were so upset about it, but it was also the end point for him to do the other work that was, he was called upon to do. He wouldn't, he, he had to call those disciples. He had to get them ready. He had to prepare them so that they wouldn't splinter and depart and internally just run away. He did it all. He got them. They were all together when he appeared to them in the upper room behind a locked door. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And I say, what does he tell us? If anyone should come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. So the humbling part is not just, well, I'm a humble person. You know, I, I, I don't get involved in skirmishes. I'm easygoing. I, I don't know. Humbled here means that we are submissive to the Father's plan. That we want the Father's plan for our lives. We understand why we're here, have we been called, and we want to now focus our attention on fulfilling the Father's purposes for whatever life we have left. Now Christ, when he figured it out, when he says, I'm here, I'm on the ground, whatever, to his dying day, he was focused on fulfilling the Father's plan. Same thing with us. When we finally figured it out, after many years, usually, usually, what do we have left? Whatever life we got left is 
where we want to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. Even if that's the way we got to go, we should be like him in, in this regard. So that's our response to our calling. What, what should be our response? It should be the same as our Lord's when he realized the purpose of the Father and his boots were on the ground. It should be the same. So we don't have enough time to continue this thought. What we will do is come back next week and we'll do our best to finish what this last uh, phrase, and that I myself may be in them. We'll finish these last points and then we'll strike into a review of John 17 as time permits. But hopefully you'll have some notes on the review and that'll be our next quest is to review what we have covered in John 17. Pretty comprehensive I would say and uh, we want to take our time so no rush to get through just what we want to talk about. Let's bow our heads as we close we'll continue this thought next week. Let's bow our thank you father for the opportunity to be witnesses. We thank you for the trust and confidence that, we, that you have in the church, this new creation. And we pray that as we open our minds to allow you to tell us who we are, not allow the world to tell us what they think about us, but that you tell us who we are, what our capabilities are, who we are in Christ, this new creation. As we learn this, Father, and our confidence swells and our assurance of who we are and what our purpose is in this world grows, we pray that we will have the courage to go out to be exactly what you want us to be without regard of how the world will react to us. And even if the world will crucify us, that we will step forward and present ourselves as lambs brought to the slaughter. And that this is the testimony that we have in this world as we live it and breathe. We pray all of this as we uh, are thankful for all that you have done by calling us to this very special purpose. In love you called us. But we pray for word is truth. Christian Church, uh, Word of Truth, uh, Lord, we we pray that this purpose will be carried not only by me but others who have picked up the understanding and the importance and the priority. We pray that we will all be challenged by this, that we will grow in grace, that we will have transformed minds. We won't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And that even, no matter what, Father, however long it took us to come to this knowledge of the truth, that you will be able to use us in this world. Whatever we have left, Father. Uh, and we're here to present ourselves as willing participants uh, fostering your eternal purpose. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.